Seeing by Moonlight, a novel by M. F. Thomas and Nicholas Thurkettle, read by Thomas Viborg Thune. Purchase a copy of Seeing by Moonlight. Visit Amazon or any online bookstore. Alex's eyes were no longer the things that saw. According to them, all that was in front of him was the plain molded chamber of Philibert's magnetic therapy device, real, dull, and ordinary. His ears heard the thud of the magnets, not a sound from his daily routine, but still thoroughly earthly. They called to mind faraway hooves. His skin tingled at the threshold of the imaginary and he thought he could smell something dark and earthy, like wet, crushed moss. None of this captured what Alex felt happening. It was like lying in the grasp of tremendous hands that were molding him, turning him over, pressing with incalculable power but elegant precision. Or he was in an immense pumping heart, inside the primal rhythm of a life while its currents channeled in and out of him, telling him the story of everything they had touched. He was yanked straight out of his body into the sky at a thousand miles an hour, and no sooner took stock of the rumbling clouds and the moonlight around him than he plunged again into a savage ocean. In the water he saw faces of people he knew, tossed and drifting with no power to save themselves. He saw skylines of whole cities bobbing like buoys, and the feelings of their people, their fears and sorrows and aspirations and wicked appetites floated over the water to him like songs. But what tied all these sensations together was the impression that he was observing from outside himself. He was there and knowing, but somehow not present. Far away in his small body, he felt Elise's hand take his, and it was like gripping a live power cable. And then the whole universe turned itself inside out, so he could at last see that this thing called electricity that we describe so often in our lives was just a shadow play, a crude replica of something so fundamental we could only grace it in our dreams. It was not like electricity. Electricity was like it. And then the world Alex knew crashed through the vision like it was a glass window, and all of him that he could sense was once again stuffed in flesh on a table. He scooted out of the chamber and looked for Elise's face, wanted to connect with her eyes at once. But she wasn't there, and she wasn't holding his hand. He sat across the room, legs curled under her, and he could not tell if her look was concern or fascination. He looked down to his hand, fingers crooked in a grip on nothing. Can you hear my voice, Alex? Philibert's question sounded like a beacon of quiet static, guiding him in from the void. It did not seem to be the first time he had asked. Alex finally looked over and nodded. Why don't you come lie down on the couch in the other room for a while? 
The first session can be a little overwhelming. For a long time, Alex heard only fragments of the conversation between Elisa and her great-uncle. It switched casually from German to English and back, probably a courtesy to him that would be forgotten whenever the conversation became too familiar. He absorbed themes more than words, concern for the old gentleman's health, excitement in sharing stories of being a young woman living alone in a big city, and trust. Alex could feel such an absolute understanding between the two of them, and thought about the missing parts of their family tree, how the strength their bond must have developed to will itself across those spaces and become so inviolate. Finally, he tuned in and sat up, feeling around his head. The family of Philibert and Elisa turned to him, folding him into the conversation. What you are feeling is the waking of your own potential, the old man said. This is not magic or mysticism, although it has worn that cloak many times in our history. Alex struggled for words. It's like I can sense more, not sights and sounds, but this flow of feelings. Elisa piped in. To me they are colors, she pointed at Philibert. His strength is brown, robust brown, and he is proud of me, purple proud. And above them these swirls of the moment, a yellow that blends joy and fascination. It nourishes me to be around that yellow. I admit, I try to trick it out of him when I can. She threw a smile in her uncle's direction, and Alex realized he could just barely recognize the edge of that glow she had just described. Philibert continued, You have only a hint of what she perceives, what has been totally natural to her since she was young. As I say, it is not magic. It is science, ancient science. I have devoted my life to studying it, for reaching all the way back into the old days, the monstrous days. The Nazis were fascinated by any promise of power, and that brought us great resources, and it brought us great evil. Money is no amends, but I have given much, anyway, to the victims of Hitler. Changes nothing. Our family history is still stained, and I have kept much of it to myself, even away from you, my dearest Elisa. But the days are getting short, and the time has come for you to know about your abilities, and the path from those days to now. And about your grandfather, my lost brother, Gerfried. It is not best that I tell you. It is best that you see it yourself. He looked one more time at Alex. And it seems you are not meant to take this journey alone.
The knock at the door came at 9 p.m. That was according to plan, but did nothing to relax Andreas. He had watched from a darkened upstairs window as the two men walked up the long path from the driveway. He had studied their gait, which was synchronized, but none of the crispness that might have identified military training. When their faces found the porch light, he had his answer. They were twins. He trained his rifle scope on the nearest one. Unless they wore concealed armor, the velocity of the round stood a good chance of passing through him and into his brother. This would probably kill neither one on the first shot, but would at least slow both enough so he could finish the job. He reached for the radio he had spliced into the front door's intercom. Good evening. Are you from the exterminators? The left one pressed the intercom button and answered. Yes, we trust you have packed your things and arranged for the care of any pets. Andreas saved the rifle. Indeed I have. I will be out in five minutes. He had been told that an extermination team would indeed follow and drape the house in a tent for a few days. But instead of bugs, the workers inside would be cleaning away traces of Andreas. Fingerprints and hair could sequester themselves away better than a dropped coin. The twins introduced themselves as Alvin and Ivo. They had a funny way of smiling at one another, and they kept a respectful distance from Andreas, yet still looked at him with fascination, like he was a firework they had bought, and they imagined what he might do with great anticipation. It made Andreas uncomfortable in ways he could not justify. We are to drive you to the next stop, said Ivo as they loaded the car. That will take through the night. Andreas subconsciously stretched his neck and legs. We will take turns. Alvin looked at Ivo and there was that smile again. They got under way and Andreas found himself in the almost unprecedented position of wanting to instigate a conversation. What are your roles in the organization? Andreas asked, attempting to suggest casual and intimate knowledge of this conspiracy from which, until today, he had only encountered one conspirator. The twins seemed to mutter at each other in a flash, a few chattered words that Andreas somehow suspected contained a conversation's worth of private content. Our job is to drive you to the next stop, said Alvin. And to provide you supplies, added Ivo. But you are not, Andreas pressed. Temporary employees, given a task like this. What are your positions? Who gave you instructions? There was an awkward silence, and then Ivo reached for the stereo knobs. Instead of this dull old talk, perhaps you would like to join my brother and I in listening to popular music on the radio. Alvin nodded vigorously. Oh yes, this will pass the time most pleasantly. 
Andrea settled back against the seat cushion. He idly envisioned stabbing them both in the neck simultaneously. The car might be too wide, and he wondered if he still had enough strength in his left arm. Spontaneously, Alvin and Ivo giggled. Andreas prepared himself for a long night. He had given her a picture and a name, and given him car keys. The car Philibert lent them for the drive back to Munich was a Mercedes. Alex mused, whether the old man, who owned enough vehicles to have many options, meant it as a subtle joke. If he did, Alex wished he knew the punchline. Elisa napped in the passenger seat, and the rain began to fall. What a story this part would have made for the guys at home. Driving the autobahn in a Mercedes with a beautiful young woman on a cool, rainy night. A woman who dealt in fine art, who saw feelings as colors, who had been raised by some mad genius who had worked with the Nazis. His hands tightened on the steering wheel. In the distance, he saw the infamous arches of a McDonald's. It suddenly looked more welcoming than an American embassy. It sat adjacent to a gas station, and he pulled over there. He touched Elisa lightly on the shoulder. Do you want anything? She didn't open her eyes, but smiled in a way that made her face light up and said, Nein, mein Freund. Alex shuddered at the way she could affect him with so few and simple words. He ate as he drove, sometimes stealing looks at her, curled up on the reclined passenger seat. Alone with his thoughts on a dark road, he considered the long day. Had that train trip really been just that afternoon? That strange experience in Philibert's machine. Alex had been on those rides at the fair, where you went inside a motion simulator and watched a movie that made you think you were being whipped and bucked around ferociously. From the outside, it hardly seemed to move at all. The mind could do so much with so little. Philibert talked about a magnetism that was like magic, talked about powers in his grandniece's brain in such a casual and ordinary way, like she were ever so good at algebra or lacrosse. How much of it had Alex simply swallowed unquestioningly? How much had been suggested into him that could then be activated in that tube by... What? A light show? A psychedelic powder in his beverage? A hypnotic rhythm in the voice of a wise old manipulator, prepared by the softening effects of a beautiful woman? Why not all of them at once? He thought as his teeth worked over the familiar grey beef. All were much more likely than the world in which Philibert had described Alex truly living. It was past ten at night when they arrived back in Munich, and it was Elisa who suggested Alex's hotel. 
Normally, he would take this as an all-clear sign to proceed with a seduction. But he felt utterly shaken out of that mode, and still felt our assistance to putting her through that ritual anyway. From that strange experience with the hat he could not place on her head, he had something to which to compare this feeling. She projected such inviting enthusiasm in all other ways. It could throw anyone. She was like carnival in a pristine field, surrounded by high stone walls. The lobby was full of boisterous men, red with beer, singing themselves into a sweat. A small man in a brown suit, hair clinging to the back of his skull, waved wanly, arguing quiet. Alex could feel his worry so potently that he stopped and gaped at the poor man. Then Elisa took his hand. Come, I am exhausted. And they turned the corner for the elevators. In his room he could not find his toothbrush. This was suddenly far more distressing than it should have been. His mouth turned more acid in protest. Suddenly all his body's discomforts were lining up in a chorus. He wanted a shower, a shave, mouthwash, and for the sun to come up on a day that was not today. He sat in a chair while she casually claimed the bed under her crossed legs. For a while they didn't speak, and she looked at him with a mix of expectations and the most perfect patience. Finally he gave in. So, how much of that was bullshit? You mean to ask if my great-uncle is actually an actor, hired to portray a wealthy scientific genius? Or I am some confidence woman who invited you to a mansion in Zurich just to sell you a sports car? The lamp by the bed brought out golden edge in her hair. He had the sudden urge to seize it like a firefly in his hands. You know what I mean. Elisa shrugged up to her ears, squinting with fatigue. If it is bullshit, it is a bullshit I have learned and believed since I was very small. So, we are both brainwashed together, if you like. Do all the kids at this school of yours have this, this sense? In one form or another, yes. Uncle built many of the devices that helped us learn. He believes passionately in technology, using it to better the world. It's the goal of the Lore Foundation. Alex waved off her tangent. But where did all these children come from? Elisa lay back and sighed. They did not tell me. Most of them from the East, Poland, Czechoslovakia, I think. I do not want to talk about those old days. Elisa, please understand, this is not normal. The experiences you're describing, somebody has to have told you by now how, how strange it is. He felt helpless to articulate the enormity of the alienation he felt. He looked deep into her eyes, and finally her face changed. 
message received. But Alex, to me, it is normal, so normal. It is you who are strange and different. And yet I will not bully you to talk all night of your deserts and rattlesnakes and American broads. And now Alex chuckled helplessly. Broads? Where did you pick that up? Elisa smiled. An old book. I read all of them. All of them, huh? Yes, all of them. Would you dare call me a liar again? Alex tried vainly to study his notes on import laws while Elisa passed into sleep. Maybe it kept him grounded to insist to himself he was still here to buy a couple of cars and deliver them to a man who lied about his golf handicap. Tomorrow they were off on Philibert's, what, field trip, treasure hunt? What was he out to show his grandniece that he could not just tell her? Why could these very smart and worldly people not give Alex even a hint about why he had become involved? After Elise's breath became soft and even, and her head nestled into the pillow, Alex took the room's phone off the nightstand and carried it out into the hall. He dialed an awful lot of numbers. Hello? Uncle Herbert, it's Alex. He settled down against the wall, smiling at the familiar voice. Alex, did you call your mother before you called me? I didn't, and I'm sure you know I didn't. Ah, so, what is it you wanted to tell me about that you would not tell her? Did you see Vecca? The words, you are stealing it, tumbled through Alex's mind. Yes, and I showed him the gift. He was very moved, made me swear to come back so he could tell me the whole story about it. Oh, Alex... It's a tale. You and your mother and I would probably be dead, but for that man, though I'm sure he was too kind to remind you of such a debt on a first meeting. Yeah, seems like I owe everybody. Listen, you're pretty well read about the war, right? Yes. Alex felt an uncertain edge in Uncle a wary pause as he wondered which direction he was about to be sent in, his memory. I met this girl. It's not important, but what can you tell me about a town called Nordhausen? Seeing by Moonlight, a novel by M. F. Thomas and Nicholas Thurkettle. Read by Thomas Viborg Thune. Purchase a copy of Seeing by Moonlight, visit Amazon or any online bookstore.